Well, good evening. That was terrible. Come on, people. Let me try this again. I had to do that at 4 o'clock, too. I don't know what this is. I don't say it with enough conviction, I guess. Good evening. Thank you. Man, we woke up. That's good. Um, so, uh, tonight, we are going to continue this study that we've been on for a while now. Um, and uh, tonight is entitled, Going On in the Glory of God. Um, in sports, they say uh, that the, while difficult, the easy part is taking a program that's had a past of failure and building it to a point of success. They say the more difficult part is once you get there, maintaining that success. Tonight, we're going to see that in our spiritual lives, while we sometimes find ourselves sensing that we are out of the presence of God, or we find ourselves sensing that we're missing out on the glory of God in our lives, as the Israelites uh, found themselves uh, in the book of Exodus at times, um, we're going to find that while it may seem difficult many times for us to get back to that point of really sensing God's presence in our life, the bottom line is the key there is once we get to that point, maintaining a sense of his presence in our life. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to begin with looking at Exodus chapter 40. We're going to kind of see the theme of this whole thing tonight in Exodus chapter 40. Uh, and, and that is, we get this picture in Exodus chapter 40. It's a great picture of the glory of God there in the tabernacle and, and the cloud that was over the tabernacle. Uh, but we got to remember that just back in Exodus chapter 32, uh, Aaron had built a golden calf for the people of Israel uh, because they had gotten impatient and they couldn't wait on Moses to come down. Uh, and so they basically looked at Aaron and said, Aaron, hey, let's build this calf and worship it, right? So just not that long ago, the Israelites had, had clearly been disobedient to God and gotten themselves in a position where uh, they got themselves in a mess, basically. And, and so now uh, they're, they're back where they're supposed to be. Um, they, are, they are doing the things they're supposed to be doing. And so in chapter 40... We see an image of what it's like to have the presence of God there, the glory of God there in front of them over the tabernacle. So we're going to take a snapshot of that. Then we're going to go backwards. Y'all know those movies that'll show you like something that happens and it'll say two years earlier. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Those TV shows and movies that do that. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to say, here's the completed tabernacle. And then we're going to go just a little while earlier. And we're going to see in chapter 35 that the cool thing about maintaining uh, or, or staying in this place where we sense the presence of God and the glory of God all around us. The greatest thing about it to me is the fact that just like anywhere else that you look in God's word, God doesn't just say, okay, here's what you're supposed to do, now go have fun trying to do it. That's not how he works. Instead, he gives us everything we need to maintain that sense of his presence. And so we'll see in chapter 35 that even through the building of the tabernacle, he was giving the people of Israel an opportunity to maintain that sense of his presence and that sense of his glory that they had previously been missing. Let's go ahead and begin reading in Exodus chapter 40, verse 33 through 38, and then we'll flip back to chapter 35. Beginning in verse 33, it says, And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. And then it says this, So Moses finished the work. So it's done. The tabernacle was done. And then we see in verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. 
For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, showing us the snapshot of your people who had messed up so bad. They had built this, this graven image, Lord, and they were worshiping it. But yet, Lord, now we find them back in your place of sensing your presence. We find them back in a place where they, Lord, even in this case, they are able to literally see the existence of your glory in the form of the cloud over the tabernacle. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving us a snapshot of that. But Lord, also help us tonight as we look at your word to see, Lord, that you have given us everything that we need in the world that we live in today as well to maintain a sense of your presence, to maintain a sense of intimacy with you, to maintain a sense of being plugged in to your glory in our lives. Help us to see, Lord, tonight what that looks like. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's the Israelites once again, finding themselves coming out of a mess. And now in chapter 40, at the end of this book of Exodus, we find them where they are back seeing the glory of God in their life. So much to the point that it says that they didn't move unless the presence of God moved. Did you see that, right? Like they, they watched the cloud Every day, get up, look to the tabernacle. Is the cloud there? Oh, we're staying because the glory of God is here. The cloud moved. Oh, we're going to wherever it is. That's very different than what you saw eight chapters earlier in chapter 32 where they were so impatient, right? They were impatient with Moses, but yet now just eight chapters later, they're so obedient and so patient that they wait on God to move them wherever it is they got to go. So we're going to see how does that happen and how is it that they maintain that sense of God's glory in their life as God gives them a very large, important task to do in building the tabernacle. Now, here's the deal. God desires for us to maintain a sense of His presence in, his li in our lives. God desires that. From the very bottom of His heart, God desires that. And so it should also be our desire to continually maintain that sense of presence of God in our lives. It should be our desire. That should be what we desire more than anything in this world ultimately, to feel the presence of God in our life. And so here's the cool thing about it. God gives us everything we need for that to take place. Tonight, we're going to see some things that God gives us to remain in His glory. The first thing that He gives us to remain in His glory is God gives us people that provide sound spiritual leadership. God gives us people that provide sound spiritual leadership. Now, by the way, let me say this before we get started on that point. Um, I wasn't really sure what to do with this tonight, and I'll tell you why. Because when Dr. Mills asked me to, uh, to share this tonight, um, I, uh, he, he's doing, like, this is like a book study kind of thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, he's going through this book, but yet going with the scripture kind of thing. And I was like, so am I supposed to stick with the points and the outline in the book, especially because it was really good? Or am I supposed to kind of like mesh these together? Or am I just supposed to take the scripture and just run with it? And, and so... It's kind of a mixture of the two, so that might get me a mess in a mess myself. Uh, so just hold tight. I promise when we get to the end, we'll get back to chapter 40 and it'll all make sense, okay? All right? So anyways, what God does is God gives us people, uh, people that can provide spiritual leadership in our lives. Now, here's the thing. When you look at chapter 40, this is a turning point in the life of, of Israel. Matter of fact, when you go back to chapter 35, you find something different happening for the rest of the book of Exodus. They're, they're actually listening and paying attention to what Moses told them to do. Did you catch that? 
right? They're actually listening to Moses. Now, you got to ask the question, well, why are they listening to Moses? Well, besides the fact of what spiritually was happening in their lives and all the stuff they had had to deal with because they were disobedient, one of the reasons we know that they can trust Moses is because Moses was living evidence of the glory of God, wasn't he? His life was living proof of what God could do when you maintained a sense of his presence in your life. See, here's the way that works with us as believers today. As believers today, guys, here's the deal. None of us are called to be long-ranger, independent Christians, are we? Not a single one of us are. The truth is, is we not only need each other for accountability, but we need each other because none of us have arrived yet. None of us have it all figured out. And when we quit, you've heard this said before, but it's true, when we quit learning, we quit growing, right? That's the truth. And it's the same truth spiritually as it is in anything else in this world, whether it's your job, whether it's athletics, whatever the case may be. Listen, when we quit, when we, when we come to the point in the realization in our lives, which is a false realization, by the way, that we got it all figured out and we don't need anybody else's help anymore and we don't need anybody else's leadership anymore and we don't need anybody else's is knowledge anymore and their wisdom anymore, then we will find ourselves in a place where we will no longer sense the presence of God in our life. And if you don't believe me and the example of Moses, there's a great thing we can do. We don't have to proof text this thing tonight. You know what you do? Go read Proverbs when you get home. It's all there, isn't it? Right? Wisdom, knowledge. We ought to seek it out, right? Uh, it talks about uh, the sons seeking out from their fathers. And the bottom line is, is that if we are going to be in the close, intimate relationship that we need to be with our father, then the bottom line is, is that we need people in our lives who can provide strong, spiritual, sound leadership. We cannot get through the sinful, dark world that we live in today without spiritual counsel. It's the bottom line. For the Israelites, it was Moses. For you, you can probably think right now of someone previous in your life or someone in your life right now who you know that when you come to a crisis in your life, when you come to one of those points in your life where you're not really sure what decisions you should make or what you should do, if you're where you're supposed to be in your walk with Christ, you can think right now of somebody that you would go to, can't you? Now, you don't have to nod your head or shake your head, because if you shake your head, then you're telling on yourself, right? All right, but think about it for just a second. If you can't say yes to that, if you can't say, yeah, I've got that person that I can seek out and that I can, I, can, I can go to and I can confide in and I can say, hey, what is the Lord telling you about this in my life and in your life? Then, then find them. Find them. Now, here's the thing. The key to that whole deal is when I say find them is this. We better make sure we find someone who has sound spiritual leadership, not unsound spiritual leadership. There's enough of that going around in the world today, isn't there? So you say, well, how do I, how do I know that? Well, the evidence is there. You know how the evidence is there? The same way it was there in Moses' life. The proof is in their life. Is the proof of God's presence and God's power in their life. If it is, that's a good person to go to for sound spiritual leadership and sound spiritual advice. You know what? God provides those people for us all the time. There is always somebody in our circle of friends and our circle of people that we know that knows a little bit more than we do. Go find them.
So to remain in his glory, God gives us people to provide sound spiritual leadership. But I want you to turn back to chapter 35 for just a second. And I want us to, I say a second, it's going to be a few minutes. And I want us to see tonight what else God does for us uh, so that we can remain in his glory. The other thing that God gives us to remain in his glory, the second thing is this. He gives us the practice of the Sabbath to remind us of the importance of his presence. Now let's take just a real quick second to remind ourselves of what's happened here. When Moses comes off the mountain and he sees that they have a golden calf, what does Moses do? Do y'all remember? Yeah, he takes those tablets and says, and he's not very happy, right? He's not very happy at all. And then we find what happens. What we find is God gives him another set of tablets, doesn't he? He he gives them to him again. So now Moses is coming back down off the mountain. and, And we find at the end of chapter 34, man, he's got the glory of God all over him, right? And what's the first thing he tells the people? This is pretty important, guys. He could have told them a lot of stuff. And the first thing he says is this. Look, verse 35, or chapter 35, verse 1. When Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together, he said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. He started with their devotion to worship him. You see that? God starts, and the message that he gives Moses to share starts with the Israelites' devotion to worship God. That's where it started. Of everything else, that was the priority. That was where it started. Listen, here was a group of people who had gotten messed up on that to the point that they were willing to worship a golden calf. And he says, guys, one out of seven days, one out of seven days, you're to worship me. That's what he says. Completely, completely, that day is his. That's what it says. Now, let's just get real practical for just a second. Y'all ready for this? I'm going to chase a rabbit. Can we chase a rabbit? Okay. All right. All right. It won't take that long. Well, it might, but just I'll be faster on the other stuff if it does, Okay. Some of you may say, Tommy's about to get into this stuff about why we ought to come to church. Yes, I am. I'm glad you said that. Look, you may say, I have my quiet time. I have my my devotional time. I, I have my prayer time. And I can worship God anywhere. All right, here's, here's the catch to all that. Let, let, let's just be real honest for just a second. When on our day of worship, which falls on Sunday for us, and obviously New Testament, risen from the grave, all that good stuff, right? First day of the week, hey, sounds a good time to do it. Work, work, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it makes sense to us, right? When we begin on that day to put anything else over and above coming together to be in communion, not only with other believers in Christ, but more importantly, with God himself, and to give our full total attention to worshiping him, What it does is it says a lot about what our priorities are and where our priority for, or where our desire to make him first in our life is on our priority list. You know what's happened since the Old Testament? What's happened is over time we have gradually spent less and less and less 
and less and less and less and less time devoted to worshiping God. You ever notice that? We have. We have. Right now, if I were to go start a church somewhere out here today and plant a church, you know what, you know what I would probably do? I'd probably have a Sunday morning service that lasts an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. Probably an hour to keep everybody happy so they could eat on time, right? Okay? And then you know what I'd do? I'd do some small groups. That's what I'd do. That's where I'd start. I'd ask for two hours of people's time. And if you look at all these churches around the, the world who are becoming, well, what they're becoming in many cases, you know what you find? They're asking for two hours. That's it. Two hours. I want to make sure my math is right. I wrote it down just to make sure that I told you this correctly. That is 1.4% of your week. 1.4% of your week devoted to worshiping Christ. Now, I'm blessed that we are part of a church that does a lot more on a weekly schedule than most churches do. I don't know if you realize that or not. We do. And I'm not saying that as a complaint. Let me tell you why. Because God asked them for a full day. And we complain when our bellies start rumbling. Or we complain if there's something during the middle of the day that disrupts what we were going to do in the middle of the day. Or we complain if we're asked to come back for a special event on a Sunday night. Lord forbid that your kids go to sleep late that night once out of the year. Ooh, I'm stepping on toes now, ain't I? I mean, I don't know. If, if you're in, our, if you're in our, 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 our music ministry, and Tim made sure that I, I got this right, by the way. You'd have been proud of him, all you guys in the music ministry. You spend between nine and a half and ten hours a week here. That's what you spend if you come to everything that's available for you to come to. And I included that in worship, because even when you guys are practicing, that's, I mean, you're worshiping. You know what I mean? So I, I included that in there. All right? For the rest of us, and I did all the math, and you can come look at my paper. It's in your paper. You don't have to look at mine. I printed it out for you because I felt guilty. Dr. Mills gives you all these sheets of paper, and I felt guilty if I didn't, so I figured I had to print out mine. Y'all know what I mean? See? Don't throw them away. Then I'll feel even worse. Most of us spend five hours a week if we show up every single time we can. It's 2.9% of our week. Rabbit is shot. We'll move on. Being in his presence, worshiping him, being in communion with him is important. You know why it's important? Because it's important to him. Comes off the mountain, first thing God has him say, one out of seven, it's mine. To remain in His glory, God gives us people to provide sound spiritual leadership. God gives us the practice of the Sabbath to remind us of the importance of His presence. But God also gives us projects to test our heart and increase our fellowship with Him by giving to them. I love this. Chapter one, or verse 1 through verse 3 of chapter 35 says, Hey, Sabbath, keep it or you die. That's what it says, right? I mean, that's what it says. Keep it or you die. And then verse 4 through verse 5, 
the tone gets a little nicer. It says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Guys, I want you to hear this. This is so important tonight. Listen, when God gives us opportunities to give, and I'm not going to pull out the Malachi and start teaching about how you ought to be tithing and bring it to the storehouse and all this. We're not going to do that tonight. I'm just going to say this, guys. When God gives us opportunities to give and he places projects, that was one of those where I couldn't come up with my own thing, so I used the one that was in the book because it also started with a P. Y'all understand what I'm saying, okay? When he gives us projects that we have the ability to give to, that is a blessing. That is an opportunity to, to, to prove our closeness and our fellowship to Jesus. That's what it is. It's what it is. See, the, the whole deal of the Sabbath and the worshiping him, that is a command, right? That is a command that is, hey, you do it or you die. But then when it comes to giving, all of a sudden the tone changes and it's, if you have a willing heart. If you have a willing heart. Now, here's the deal. Where's our heart? Okay, total overall being a man, but let's just for just a second be physical for a minute. Like on the inside, right? Y'all got that? Yeah, okay, good. Stay with me for a second. Y'all know like, well, not all of you know this because not all of you are married. But y'all remember like before you got married and you got to do that whole like go register for gifts thing? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hey, have y'all done that? Did you take the little gun and shoot everything you could to put it on your register? Did you? Don't lie. <laughs> Somewhat. It was so much fun. Half the stuff I knew, like, nobody's going to buy that. And Mallory at one point was like, Tommy, why are you registering for all this stuff? They're not going to buy it. And what happens if they actually do? Like, they could have got something we could have used. Well, I got one of those gifts kind of like that. I used it about four or five times. You know those things you stick in meat that are supposed to, like, do the little thermostat thing? I guess that's what they're called, meat thermostat. I don't know what they're called, but y'all know what I'm talking about? Thermometers. There we go. Yeah. Really cool digital one. You just stick it in there, push a button, and boom, the number pops up. And you, like, you know, done, well done, medium, whatever. You know, you know it all. Mallory's laughing at me. It's still in our drawer at the house, by the way, because I used it four or five times. I couldn't figure the thing out, even though all I had to do was push a button. And so I stuck it in the drawer. I think it moved with us. I'm pretty sure it did. It did, right? And I, I realized that, you know what, I, I just got better at figuring out whether the meat was done or not. I had this brilliant idea. Man, I'm going to be like a chef. I'm going to be grilling out every night. This is going to be great. I'm going to be able to check out the roast in the oven, the whole nine yards. I'm going to do the man thing and cook the meat. You know what I mean? That's what I was going to do. But I didn't really quite know how to use the thing. Somebody probably could have shown me. I probably could have read the directions, but we're not good at that. So it was what it was. But do you know what the purpose of that thing was? What it still is, if I know how to use it? The purpose of it is this, what? To check the temperature of the inside of the meat where you can't see. Because if you get the grill too hot and you throw that meat on there, it's going to get cooked on the outside real fast. You can go cut it and it's bleeding everywhere, right? Then your wife's not happy, right? Guys, listen, every time God gives us a project with an opportunity to, to give to, and in this case, the project was building the tabernacle, wasn't it? That's what it was. Your local church is a, is a project that God's given you to give to, by the way. I'll just throw that out there. Every time he gives us one of those, what it is, 
It's a thermometer into our heart. It's determining the heat of our heart and whether our heart is still on flame for an almighty God. When our heart is still burning for God, we will find ourselves in a position of closeness with God. We will find ourselves in a position of intimacy with God. We will find ourselves in a place where we sense the very presence and the very glory of an almighty God. If we act upon giving to those things he's called us to give to. By the way, let me add this for just a second. Look, what we're willing to give, and I'm not just talking about money here, okay? I'm talking about our time and our gifts and our abilities and our service and all that kind of stuff. But what we're willing to give, guys, it, it always ends up being something that's, that's of a sacrificial nature if, if it's driving you to a closer relationship with Christ and with God. I want to say that again. What we find ourselves giving, the resources, the time, the energy, it's always of a sacrificial nature if, if, if we want it to really bring us closer in fellowship with God. You know what that means? I'll tell you what that means. I'll tell you what that means. Real, real quick, like, guys, this is another one of those, ow, it may hurt a little bit, but here's the truth of the matter. For some of us, because of the way that the Lord may have blessed you or me financially, it's real easy to give the tithe and for it not to fill it. Y'all know what I mean? Let's be honest. For others in the room, you feel it. It hurts. You know what I mean? You know what God really desires out of all of us? If, if, if we're going to make this applicable to us, we ought to all feel it. You ever think about that? We ought to all feel it. It doesn't get preached much. So I'll just go back here. So if you throw anything at me, I can duck. If you've never felt it before when you gave, try him. See what happens if you give to the point that you start feeling it. And see if you don't start relying on him a whole lot more. See if you don't feel his presence. See, to remain in his glory, God gives us people to provide sound spiritual leadership. God gives us the practice to remind us of the importance of his presence. God gives us projects to give to, to test our hearts and increase our fellowship with him. And then God gives us specific positions in his family to contribute our unique set of gifts. Look at verse 30 through verse 35. I gotta talk fast. Here we go. Verse 30 through verse 35. And Moses said to the children of Israel, see the Lord is called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach 
and him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, who named these people. He has filled them with the skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design every artistic works. Here's the deal, guys. Listen, the tabernacle's being built. God's got this project right in front of them. He's asked them all to give, right? He's asked them all to give out of a willing heart. And then what he said is this. He has specifically called specific individuals to do jobs that they were specifically good at. Not all of us are good at everything. Now, some of us want to be good at everything, but it's not possible. And it's a good thing we're not good at everything, isn't it? Do, do, does anybody in here really want the whole weight of the entire church and the whole weight of the body of Christ on your shoulders and my shoulders? I don't. But here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes what happens is, is instead of saying, look, this is what God's called me to do and he's assigned me to do, what happens is, is, and even sometimes it's out of good motives because we feel like the weight of the church or the weight of the body of Christ is on us because nobody else will step up and do something and i got to do it because nobody else will. And so what happens is this, is instead of doing what God's assigned us to do, we do everything else God hasn't assigned us to do. And so as a result of that, we get burned out, we get discouraged, we get frustrated, and the next thing you know, we're throwing our hands up saying, I'm done, I'm tired. And we find ourselves in that moment where we say, God, where'd you go? God, why aren't you right here with me anymore? God, I don't feel your presence. And God's over here going, dude, wake up. I told you to do this. What are you doing? Guys, we have to realize that, look, God has gifted us with certain abilities. He's gifted us with certain talents. And what we have to do is we have to accept those abilities and we have to accept those talents and we have to do what he's assigned us to do. We told our baseball team um, every year, because uh, it always applied to somebody, that a good outfielder is usually a good infielder that doesn't bend his knees when he's fielding a ground ball. Did y'all catch that? I like that. And um, somebody would always have this mindset that I want to play the infield. That's what I want to do, because that's what everybody wants to do, right? And so what do you do? You have to have a conversation with the kid. And you talk to the kid, and you're like, look, hey, I want you to move the outfield, blah, blah, blah. Usually if they gave pushback, we would use that line again. They'd kind of laugh, but probably go tell their mamas I was being mean kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but um, what happens is this, okay? What happens is this, is that the kids that accepted that they usually excelled. The kids that didn't, they usually sat with me as a backup infielder. Y'all know what I mean? Right? Because we tried to tell them, all, look, we're not moving you if we didn't think you'd go out there and play for us. Maybe you can hit. We had one kid a few years ago. His name was Nick. And Nick was unbelievably fast. But Nick, as a middle schooler, and Nick, as a ninth grader, had played shortstop. He played shortstop his whole life. That's what he'd done. And he could get the balls in the hole, but he, he, he was the most fundamentally unsound kid I've ever seen in my life on the infield. And he just, it, it was like physically he couldn't do it. But you stuck him in the outfield and you hit the ball anywhere in there, that joker would track it down and make hard stuff look easy. You didn't realize how good he was because he made everything look so easy getting to. Nick, we had to have that conversation with beginning of the sophomore year. We said, Nick, you're not an infielder, man, but I want to be an infielder. My daddy just went and bought me an infield glove. Sorry, dude, you're not an infielder. And Mallory will tell you, that dude is a junior, made one error the entire 
his entire junior year. As a senior, he made zero errors his entire senior year. He hit leadoff for us. He was our catalyst for everything we did. You know why? Because what he wanted to do and the assignment that he wanted to do, he wasn't equipped for. So when he listened to us and we said, hey, here's what you can do and you can be really good at it and you can help us win and you're equipped for this, guess what? He bought into it and it made all the difference in the world. That's some 15-year-old kid that did that. Why won't we do that as believers when we're serving an almighty God, not some flawed high school baseball coach? We've got to find the position that God's assigned us to. We've got to embrace that role. We've got to do what he's called us to do. See, not only... Does God, to remain in his glory, give us people to provide sound spiritual leadership? Not only does he give us the practice of the Sabbath to remind us of the importance of his presence, the projects to test our heart and increase our fellowship to him as we give to those projects, and specific positions in his family to contribute our unique sets of gifts, but he also gives us specific plans prescribed for his specific work. Now, we could spend a long time reading chapter 36, 37, 38, 39, and the beginning of chapter 40. You can go back and read those on your own if you want. But we're going to get out of here in a little bit, so we're not going to read all of that. But I can promise you this. If you go read it, you find out that the plans for the tabernacle were specific. They were meticulous. They were cross your T's and dot your I's kind of plans. And the people of Israel followed them to a T. They followed them. They did exactly what God had told them to do for his tabernacle. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. God has a specific plan for you and for me in his work. God has a plan for us. Not only does he have a place for us to do it, and he's given us certain gifts, but he's then given us an exact plan to do it. Guys, we want to find ourselves in a mess. We want to find ourselves outside the will of God. We want to find ourselves outside of the sensing of his presence. We want to find ourselves not in touch with his glory. Then I'll tell you, there's a real quick shortcut way to do that. Go try doing something that God hadn't told you to do. Follow our own plans. Many times our own plans can be good, right? Matter of fact, the problem is a lot of times our good plans that are our own plans are a lot easier than God's plans. So if if we're not careful, we'll have a tendency to follow our good plans instead of really seeking out his will through prayer, really seeking out his will through time alone with him, really seeking out his will through time and his word. By the way, God's plan will never contradict his word. Y'all know that? Never will never will and if we're not careful what will happen is is that we'll find ourselves in a place where once again we'll feel very distant from God distant from God and it's not his fault it's our fault because we're not following his plan for the sake of time God not only gives us the position and his family he not only gives us a plan finally tonight He gives us his presence in every situation. He gives us his presence in every single situation. I love this because we get back to chapter 40. And chapter 40 is a shouting hallelujah chapter if you read it for what it is. I mean, it's awesome. Because go back to chapter 40 for just a second and read that again with me. It's starting in verse 34. I already told you it's cool because at 33 ends, Moses finished the work. God had called him to do all this stuff. They did it and boom, what happens? glory of God shows up, doesn't it? 
And what we see is this, as the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of the meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. First thing I want you to see out of this, out of this uh, 34 and 35 there particularly is this. Guys, excuse me, guys, listen. God's presence is, is, is everywhere. We understand that? God's presence is everywhere. So many times in this world, what we do is we live our life in such a manner that we get so caught up in the physical and the earthly things that we forget that the spiritual is very real. And we forget that, listen, in each and every relationship that we have, in each and every situation that we come across, in each and every obstacle that we face, listen, somewhere in the midst of that, God is telling us, here's how you should respond. Somewhere in the midst of that, God's presence is there and it's telling, and he's telling us, his presence is there and he is telling us, listen, here's what you need to do next. Why? Because listen, my, my dad gave me this little plaque thing and, and it, it, was a, it wasn't a plaque, it was a piece of paper he typed on with some colors and stuck it in a, a, a frame. Thank you, there we go. And it says this, this is in my office, it says spiritual matters matter most. They do. We get so busy and caught up that we forget that, listen, his presence is in every situation, which means he's got something we're supposed to be doing. Now, with that in mind, 34 and 35, those two verses are really powerful. Because you know what it tells me? If I'm going to remember that his presence is everywhere, I've also got to realize, as those two verses tell me, that where his glory is, my glory can't be. Do you see that? Where his glory is, my glory can't be. The glory filled up the tabernacle, so who couldn't go in it? Moses. Hey, when I understand that, that spiritual matters are what matter most, and I understand that, listen, it is his presence that is in every situation that is driving us to do whatever it is he's called us to do, then, listen, what will happen is, is I won't have a problem recognizing that, look, it's not about my glory. It's not about what I'm good at or what I've done. It's not about saying, hey, look what Tommy's done, or even look what Beach Haven's done, or, hey, look what our family's done. No, it's not about that. It's about this is what God has done. Look what God is done. Guys, you want a surefire way to figure out if somebody's not living in the presence of an almighty God? A surefire way to find out if glory has left the place? You find someone that starts taking credit for the things that God's done. I love the rest of this verse 36, 37, 38 though as well. Because guys, when we recognize his presence in every situation, what happens is this. This is so cool. What happens is this. We don't have a problem following his plans and his purposes in our life, do we? Because what did, what did the people of Israel do? This, man, this is, this is good. This is like a, a changing moment. Because here's the, he's, these guys are, as I told you earlier, they, they couldn't be patient enough to wait on Moses earlier. And now here they are and they're saying, look, we're not moving until the cloud moves. We're not moving until the glory of God moves. We're not moving until the presence of God moves. We're, not, we're staying if he says stay, and we're going if he says go. Every situation that we face in this world, the same applies to us. We stay if God says stay, we go if God says go. Guys, I want to I tell you this for just a second. I'm going to chase one more rabbit for just a second. Um, and, and I got three minutes to do it so I can still pray and all that good stuff. All right, so here we go. 
I should get behind here so y'all don't throw anything at me. All right. Here's the deal. This, I don't know why I said that. It's just, I don't know. But anyway, so many of us, what happens is, is that we, we don't wait for God to say go, and we don't wait for God to say stay. And so what happens is, is we get, we get ahead of God. You know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Um, you see it in church life a lot. You see it in church life a lot. Kind of goes back to what I said about his plan and having to be his plan as well. These two points really go hand in hand. Guys, listen. Uh, as staff, this is difficult to deal with a lot of times because we want to please people most of the time and not upset folks or offend folks, and we don't want anybody to leave. And all, you know what I'm saying. You know how that works, all right? We can say that's, that's not true, but the bottom line is, is we're human, and there's a, there's a part of that nature in all of us, even if we're on a staff somewhere because we're just like the rest of you guys. So what will happen is, is somebody in the church will come to you and say, man, I got this great idea. You're like, hey, that does sound like a good idea. And then somebody else will come and say, hey, I got this great idea. And you're like, hey, that sounds like a good idea. And then somebody else will come and say, hey, I got this great idea. And, and, and you don't want to say no to anybody. So before long, what happens is, is you got 10,000 ideas happening. Y'all know what I'm saying? Right? And then you're not effective at any of them because God was telling you on 9,997 of them, hey, stay, wait. And he was only telling you on three of them, go. You see how that works? And he said, once again, hello, if you'd have listened, these three you could have been effective in ministry in, but instead you're trying to do 10,000 different things. By the way, the reason that is true in church life is because church staff members are human and church members are human. And it's that way in church life because it's that way in your life and my life. Instead, we need to wait for God to move the cloud. God's glory did not always take the Israelites to a more convenient or easier place by man's standards. But it always took them to a better place. Because the presence of God is always a better place. Guys, listen, here's the deal. Some of you tonight find yourself in a place where you currently do not sense the presence of God in your life. You find yourself in a place right now where you say, man, I just can't feel his power. I can't feel his glory. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I just feel, I feel dead inside. I feel empty. I, I don't feel like he's guiding me where, where I, in any direction because I can't figure out where he's telling me to go. My dad used to say, and my mom, well, my dad mostly, you know, sometimes you got to have a come to Jesus meeting. Y'all know what that really means, like in our world, right? Well, how about let's have a real one? If that's the case. How about let's have a real come to Jesus meeting where we come to him and we say, listen, what is it? Make it apparent to me. Make it clear to me. What is it in my life that is pre preventing me from being in an intimate relationship with you? God, I know it's something on my behalf because you're perfect. So God, what is it that I'm messing up? God, where is it that I've made a wrong turn? God, which one of these things that Tommy talked about tonight am I not doing? Have I forgotten to, to reach out to those to get great, sound spiritual leadership? Am I not giving to the things that you've called me to give? What is it, God, in my life that's causing me to not be right in the center of your will? For some of us, we may need to just be broken before God. For others of us, listen, 
We may be in a place where we know God's presence and we know God's power and we know his glory because it's, it's all about everything that, we, that, that seems like is happening in our life. We know we have, we're in a place where we're doing exactly what God wants us to do to the best of our ability. Well, one, I would say very quickly, let's get humble and go, hey, God, let me make sure I stay there and don't get feeling too good about myself, right? That's the first step. But number two, I want to say this. If that's us, then do as the Israelites were called to do by Moses and by God. Find someone that can give sound spiritual guidance. Make them a part of your life each and every day. Adopt the practice of devoting yourself to worship him. Willingly give to the projects that he's placed around you. Accept whatever position and assignment he's given you in his family. Follow his plan, not our plan. And begin to acknowledge his presence in every situation. I love this story because in this story we see God's chosen people who messed up so bad. And yet, now here they are back. Only moving when his glory moves. And only staying when his glory stays. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I ask you that each and every one of us tonight will take self-inventory just over this next moment as we pray. And Lord, I ask you that if we're in a place, Lord, where we just don't seem like we sense your presence, Lord, we're in a place where we just hadn't felt your glory in a long time, I ask you, Lord, that you'll help us to recognize the need to go to you right now with whatever it is in our life. It's preventing that. Lord, for those of us in this place tonight who have experienced your glory, who have experienced your presence, Lord, I, I thank you for that. But I also ask you, Lord, for those in this place that have experienced that, that, Lord, you protect their hearts, you protect their minds, you protect us, Lord, in such a way that we'll do these things that you have given to us to stay right in the center of where you want us to be. Lord, ultimately, I thank you that the only reason this is all possible for us today is because your son, Jesus Christ, died for us on the cross of Calvary and gave us the privilege and the ability to be in your presence to begin with. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, my prayer and my desire is, Lord, that each and every person in here have, Lord, that in their life, that they have been at a place where they have accepted that and that they've experienced your presence because they know you. They haven't, Lord. For them tonight, I ask you, Lord, that they'll find one of us before they leave and say, I need to get in the presence of God because I need to know his son. I need to know him and I need to know him as my Savior. Lord, thank you for the example that you gave us to the people of Israel through this book of Exodus of a people who struggled to maintain a close sense of intimacy with you, who struggled to maintain a sense of your presence, who struggled to be obedient, but yet, Lord, who we find at the end of this book doing exactly as you command following when you said go 
and staying when you said stay. Help that to be the testimony of our lives as well. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here.